I'm sure you all recognize that footage as the Apollo 11 moon landing back in the 1960s. And uh, if you weren't around back then, we did go to the moon. And uh, although there are a good percentage of Americans who still don't think we did. They think that was all filmed in the Nevada, in the Nevada desert. And there are 5% of the people in America who believe the earth is flat. So <laughs> my hamster just stopped and went, really? So I want to bring you a message today about the moment of kinetic movement when we talk about the subject of faith. Think back for a minute about all the great miracles in the Bible. Think, think about Noah building the ark. Think about Moses standing there with his staff across the Red Sea. Think about David standing on the field facing Goliath. Think about Daniel being thrown into the lion's den. I mean, there's some just in, incredible miracles that took place in the Bible, both in the Old and the New Testament. You know what? Every one of those miracles have in common, there's a common thread that runs through every single one of them. None of them occurred without faith. Now, I've got this Sunday and next Sunday to preach to you. So you know I'm going to teach you and preach to you about some of the most important things that I can think of. And if I could leave you with something, and I'll, I'll do a little ministry on the 29th too, but as far as just a sermon, today and next Sunday is, and Wednesday night is pretty much it. I want to leave you with some understanding about how faith works. Because the only thing separating us from walking in the realm of miracles is faith. And the only avenue to get from where we are to where we want to be is faith. Faith is the key that unlocks the door to the miraculous power of God. Heavenly Father, I ask you in this moment that you would give me what to say and how to say it. Anoint me, Holy Spirit, so that these beautiful people will not hear or see me, but they will hear and see you. Let me decrease that you might increase and perfect your purpose in us, O oh God. In Jesus' name, amen. amen. Hebrews 11, now faith is being sure of what we hope for and certain of what we do not see. Faith is more than just belief. It's more than just hope. It's more than just trust. It is, there, there is an element and essence of knowing about faith. It didn't say faith is what we trust for. Faith is what we believe for. It said faith is being sure of what we hope for and certain of what we do not see. My personal opinion now, I'm going to tell you what, why I think if you go to third world countries, Africa, Am Amazon territory, South America, a lot of these places where, where people don't have the level of education and secularism that we do, you will see miracles there that are just very rare in America. They're much more common in these foreign countries. It also bears to point out that people in these foreign countries are willing to walk 10 miles to church and carry their own chair and water and umbrella if they have it. And if not, they'll just sit out in the blazing sun and amass with a crowd of tens of thousands of people and sit there half a day to hear somebody preach with an interpreter. That's commitment. That's hunger for God. 
personal opinion, I think one of the greatest hindrances to the miraculous in America, there are two, in my opinion. Number one is our, our great faith in education. Now look, I believe in education, but I do not believe in some of the things that are being taught in our public school systems that masquerade as education and are really indoctrination. Mark Twain said, I never let my education interfere with my learning. That's a good philosophy. The second thing I believe is America is one of the most, if not the most, secularized nation on the face of the earth. Our, our airwaves are bombarded with worldliness. Have you ever stopped and asked yourself, James 2 says, do not love the world or anything in the world. What does that mean? You ever ask yourself, what does worldliness mean? I think we've become so immersed in it, we don't even recognize it anymore. It's like being in a forest amongst all the trees. And somebody say, man, it's a beautiful forest. And you go, and I don't know, I just see trees. We're, we're so immersed in it. You know, it's like, it's like being in a place that, like Georgetown, South Carolina. Have any of you ever been to Georgetown, South Carolina? Some of you have. You know where I'm going with this. There's a massive paper mill in Georgetown. Now, Georgetown's a great town, but that paper mill will burn the hairs out of the inside of your nose. It just smells horrible. And you drive in the town, it's like, oh, man, what is that, you know? And everybody in Georgetown's like, what's what? What's what? They're used to it. It's like people who live with eight dogs in their house. You go in the house, it's like, <coughs> and they're like, what, what? It smells like dog in here. Of course, you wouldn't say that, but you think it. And they're thinking, it smells normal to me. We get used to that. We get used to what surrounds us. I think we in America have gotten so used to trusting in our own wisdom, in our own smarts, our own intellect, and we've gotten so accustomed to the tsunami of worldliness that has swept over our land for so long, I think we have lost touch with how to get in a place of faith with God that can tap in to the miracles and the power that we see in Scripture. I don't know about you, but we've got a choice to make. Now, I'm serious with you. I'm going to condense this message because we ran a little long today. We've got a choice to make, guys. I want, you to, I want you to listen to me now. We've got to decide, one, the Bible's either true or it's not. All of it, every word, is either true or it's not. We've got to decide that. If it's not true, let's board this place up, shut everything down, and go home. If it is true, all of it, then we've got a second choice to make. Are we content to live the way we are, or is there something more? I don't know about you, but I believe there's a whole lot more than what any of us have yet tapped into. I want to read you some of this. Hebrews 11.1. 1. Stick with me. Now, faith is being sure of what we hope for and certain of what we do not see. This is what the ancients were commended for. By faith, we understand that the universe was formed at God's command so that what was seen was not made out of what was visible. By faith, Abel brought God a better offering than Cain did. By faith, he was commended as righteous when God spoke well of his offerings. And by faith, he still speaks even though he is dead. By faith, Enoch was taken from this life so that he did not experience death. He could not be found because God had taken him away. For before he was taken, he was commended as one who pleased 
God. Notice it didn't say was politically correct or made a lot of money or worked hard or was a good parent. All those things are good, but what it really said is he pleased God. By faith, Noah, when warned about things not yet seen, that's important, in holy fear built an ark to save his family. He didn't just save his family, he saved the whole world. You know, when we obey God, it always resonates much further than we realize it does. Noah saved the whole world, not just his family. By faith, Abraham, when called to go to a place he would later receive as his inheritance, obeyed and went even though he did not know where he was going. By faith, he made his home in the promised land like a stranger in a foreign country. He lived in tents, as did Isaac and Jacob. And by faith, even Sarah, who was past childbearing age, was unable to bear children because she considered him faithful, who had, who had made the promise. And it goes on to talk about by faith, Abraham, when God tested him in verse 17, offered Isaac as a sacrifice. He who had embraced the promise was about to sacrifice his one and only son, even though God had said to him, it is through Isaac that your offspring will be reckoned. Abraham reasoned that God could even raise the dead. And in so a manner of speaking, he did receive Isaac back from death. By faith, Isaac blessed Jacob and Esau in regard to their future. By faith, Jacob, when he was dying, blessed each of Joseph's sons. By faith, Joseph, when his end was near, spoke about the exodus of the Israelites from Egypt. By faith, Moses' parents hid him for three months. By faith, Moses, when he had grown up, refused to be known as the son of Pharaoh's daughter. He chose to be mistreated along with the people of God rather than to enjoy the fleeting pleasures of sin. By faith, the people passed through the Red Sea as on dry land, but when the Egyptians tried to do so, they were drowned. There is a difference between faith and presumption. By faith, the walls of Jericho fell after the army had marched around them for seven days. By faith, the prostitute Ahab, because she welcomed the spies, was not killed with those who were disobedient. And what more shall I say? I do not have time to tell about Gideon, Barak, Samson, Jephthah, David, Samuel, and the prophets, who through faith conquered kingdoms administered justice, gained what was promised, shut the mouths of lions, quenched the fury of the flames, escaped the edge of the sword, whose weakness was turned to strength, who became powerful in battle and routed foreign armies. Women received back their dead, raised to life again. There were others who were tortured, refusing to be released so that they might gain an even better resurrection. Some faced jeers and flogging and others chains and imprisonment. They were put to death by stoning. They were sawed in two. They were killed by the sword. They went about in sheepskins and goatskins, destitute, persecuted, and mistreated. And the world was not worthy of them. Wow. One small step, one giant leap. That's what I want to talk to you about today. One small step. One giant leap. The Bible says the just shall live by faith. And I want you to understand something. And the first thing I want you to understand about faith is that faith is not always reasonable. Faith is not always reasonable. There, there's even a, a Christian television show on called Reasonable Faith. And I understand what the man's trying to do. He's trying to make Christianity uh, appeal to people who... who filter through their intellect and their reason. But let me just tell you that real miracle, I'm not talking about faith in terms of, am I a Christian or am I a Protestant or am I a, a Catholic or am I a Baptist? I'm not talking about that kind of faith. I'm talking about the faith beyond denomination, beyond religious movement. I'm not talking about that. I'm talking about the kind of faith that moves mountains, the kind of faith that sees open, blind eyes open, the kind of faith that sees crippled people get up off, off the ground and walk. 
miracle-working faith, the kind of faith that's dynamic and powerful, that taps into the power of God. That's the kind of faith I'm talking about. That kind of faith is not always reasonable or logical. It doesn't make sense. When Peter said to Jesus, if it's you, Lord, tell me to come out of the boat and walk on the water to you. That doesn't make any sense. Think about that. Peter could have asked Jesus to do anything. I might have asked him something else. Lord, if it's really you, levitate. <laughs> you do it. I, I, I want to walk on the water. But you know what? It was a moment of truth for Peter, and at least he got out of the boat, and he did something only two people have ever done. Peter and Jesus, he walked on water. Faith is not always reasonable or logical. I went to church one Sunday in college. I had sold my blood four times that week, and I had, they gave me $10 a pint for my blood plasma, and that's all the money I had in the world. I was a poor college student. So I had sold my blood. I had $40 in my wallet. I sat down in this massive church, First Assembly of God in Lakeland, Florida. 5,000 people gathered up in there. Piano seemed like it was as long as from here to the sound booth. And God spoke to me when they got ready to take up the offering. And he said, give all the money in your wallet. I'm not one to argue with God. I, I don't struggle. I don't fight. When I know it's God, I just obey. But I do ask God follow-up questions. <laughs> and I said, all right, Lord, I'm going to give it. It's not an argument. This, this is not a protestation. I'm not grumbling or complaining. I'm not struggling. But I do have a follow-up question. And it is this. This church brings in easily three, four hundred thousand dollars a week, maybe more every week. I got $40 that I sold my blood for to my name. I couldn't buy one of the wheels on the piano with that. They're not going to miss my 40. I think I had $41. I had one extra dollar. They're not going to miss. I saved it from selling blood the week before. They, they, they're not going to miss my $41. God was just quiet. When God tells you to do something and then he just gets quiet, be, just shut up and go do it. Quit talking. Quit praying. Quit the follow-up questions. The quiz is over. Just go do what God said. So the man with the offering bag came by, smiled at me and bent over. I pulled my $41 out. Didn't even put it in an envelope. College students don't care about tax credit. Put it in there. And I worshiped. And I went out in the parking lot and I threw ashes on my head, you know. And I said, Lord, I obeyed you and I trust you and I'm not complaining about it. The next day, a girl named Lenice walked up to me and gave me, out of the clear blue for no reason, $140. A college student like me. And said, here, go to Disney World. I thought, my hamster had a seizure. I'm not saying God's always going to give you that kind of a blessing, but I am saying this before we want the miraculous power of God to operate. We've got to walk in the obedient power of our choices. Obedience precedes the miraculous every time. 
and disobedience brings the opposite. Flatline nothingness. God may not send the storm to devastate your world. He'll just get distant and quiet and won't do anything when we walk in disobedience. And sometimes it's better to even have a storm than have nothing. So faith is not always reasonable or logical. It made no logical sense for me to give my little $41 to that massive church. But God wasn't looking at it that way. God doesn't look at his principles and dynamics through the lens of human logic. God looks at it one-on-one. Will you obey me in this moment to do what I say, irrespective of, of the permutations that your logic might enumerate to you? Will you walk in obedience? Will you just do this one simple thing, whether it makes sense to you or not, whether it's reasonable to you or not, whether it's logical or not, will you obey me? That's what God wants. Secondly, faith is a spiritual dynamic dependent upon a supernatural being. Don't confuse faith with emotion. Faith has nothing to do with how we feel. And this is what what I run into a lot in the ministry over the years is that people's faith dwindles down or runs out the end of their shoes when their emotions get up. Listen, faith and emotions have nothing to do with each other. It's amazing how somebody gets a a 30% raise. Boy, they come to church and they just shout the glory and they praise God all over the place. David said, I will bless the Lord when? At all times. If you'd have praised God two years ago in faith for that 30% raise, you might have got it two years ago. We want to praise God after we see the miracle rather than praise him in faith for the miracle. I love the story of the Hebrews marching around the, the, the city of Jericho. They did it one time a day for six days, and on the seventh day, seven times around, you know the story. They stopped. They had been marching for a whole week, and you know what? On the seventh time, the seventh time around, they stopped. And in that moment of silence, between the time that they stopped marching and the time they shouted, in that moment, nothing changed. You can obey God to the end of the last letter, and it may seem like to you everything is the same as it always has been. I've done all this stuff that God told me to do, and yet nothing is different. All they did was shout the victory before the walls came down. I think there needs to be an an element of faith that runs through our worship. I think we need to begin to praise God before we see miracles, not just after. I think we need to shout the victory before we see the walls come down rather than wait till after they're collapsed to give God praise. I believe God will honor faith-filled praise. I do. Faith is a spiritual dynamic. It's not emotional. Faith is not circumstantial. And faith is not horizontally relational. You and I are not going to be able to get our ourselves into the miraculous plane of God's power by tapping into Everett Brown's faith or Buffy Faust's faith or Pastor Josh Pate's faith. No, you got to have your own. You, the, you, you know, this whole idea, and this was a big thing a few years ago, but when we do mantles here, we never pass mantles from one person to another. I, I give you my mantle of anointing. No, let, let, let that never be said in this church. Because you've got to have your own anointing. You can't have mine. You can't have Pastor Josh's. You can't have Buffy's. You can't have Everett's. You've got to have your own. 
And that comes through relationship with God. You can't ride the coattails of a preacher or a famous evangelist or your mama or daddy or your friend or anybody else, your pastor, nobody. You got to get your own anointing from the Holy Spirit, you and him. That's where miracles take place. It's a spiritual dynamic and it is not dependent on any person. It's not dependent on circumstantial evidence. It's not dependent on political connections. One moment of faith-filled prayer in the presence of God can accomplish more than all the political connections, all the money, all the friendships, all the trade-offs, all the manipulations you could ever imagine. One simple prayer in the presence of God can accomplish more than our human connections all put together across our lifetimes could accomplish in the rest of our lives that's the kind of god we serve thirdly faith is total obedience to and trust in god now this is what real faith is rooted in obedience and trust when i was a little boy there was a a hymn and you probably none of you maybe some of you folks that are a little more chronologically advanced may know this but it uh It says, when we walk with the Lord in the light of his love, what a glory he sheds on our way. How many of you know this song? If we do his goodwill, he abides with us still. And I always forget this phrase. "Ah, We will trust and obey. (laughs) And then it goes, trust and obey, for there's no other way to be happy in Jesus, but to trust and obey. That's it. That's the essence of the bulwark, the foundation, the root system of faith, trusting in God and obeying him. Now, the next thing I want to talk about is the moment of truth. And I'm I'm moving through this because I want to get to this. The moment of truth. Everybody in this place could probably use a miracle of God. And maybe you've been praying for one. Maybe it's financial. Maybe it's health. Maybe it's relational. Maybe it's some kind of emotional healing you need over a a past issue. But almost every person, when I was doing a lot, Pastor Don and I were doing a lot of Christian television with TBN years ago, they told us that 70% of the viewing audience is dealing with hurt at any moment. I, I think it may be higher than that. But almost everybody needs a miracle of God of some description. If I went around to every person and said, if you could just ask God to do anything in your life, probably none of you would say, oh, nothing, I'm good. Every one of us would need a miracle of some kind. There, is a season, there are seasons in our lives, and I'm not talking about spring, summer, fall, and winter. I'm talking about seasons that we go through as Christians, as people. And and these seasons prepare us and they condition us and they ready us for things that we're about to encounter. I'll give you an example. Almost every time in the Old Testament and the New, before God did anything really fantastic with one of his people, he would send them to the wilderness. Don't despise wilderness experiences in your life. God is almost always preparing you for your next great work. It's not fun. But when the battle comes, you'll be ready. It's a lot more fun to sit in a recliner than it is to go to the gym. But if you sit in the recliner, when the battle comes, you won't be ready. If you go to the gym, when the battle comes, you'll be ready. On November 4th, George St. Pierre is going to come back into the ring, and he's going to fight Michael Bisping for the welterweight championship. 
When that happens, we're going to find out what George St. Pierre has been doing for the last three or four years. Has he been faithful to his workout? Has he kept up speed? Has he been doing what he's supposed to do? Or has he gotten ring rust? Is he going to be out of shape? Is he going to be deconditioned? Is he going to have, will, will he have lost a step? We won't know. But I can tell you this, if he has paid the price in training, and if he has done the work in the wilderness, when the battle is on and the, and the, ring, the bell rings... He'll show that he's ready. Don't despise the discipline and the hard work God puts you through. He is readying you for your next encounter with his destiny in your life. Amen. The moment of truth. When George St. Pierre steps in that ring, that octagon, they're going to go, bing, and it's going to be on. That's the moment of truth. Everything else he's done has led up to that. That's the moment of truth. Our lives are filled with moments of truth. You can look back across your life and you can, you can pinpoint exact dates and times and seasons where you were, you were brought to a moment of truth in your life and you had to decide something. You had to choose something. You had to act. It was incumbent upon you to respond to the moment of truth. Back in the 70s, there was a cantata. I think it was Godspell. And one of the songs was The Moment of Truth. Wasn't my favorite song, but I remembered the title. When I was 16, you know about the wreck I was in. I laid there in the bed and all these doctors gathered around. They gave me this terrible prognosis. You're not going to be able to do this. Not going to do that. Not going to do the other thing. And I, at 16, was faced with my own moment of truth. I had to decide, am I going to believe what they're saying or am I going to have some faith? And I got to credit my mom, being my Sunday school teacher for all those years. Mom kind of tracked me and followed me. She was always my Sunday school teacher. (laughs) I went to college. There's my mom in the credit of the class. No. But she had, she actually used flannel graphs. I don't know if you remember flannel graphs, but that was the cutting edge technology of the day. You put a piece of flannel on a tripod and you stuck these little cut out paper figures on it. And us little kids, wow, look, it's Elijah. It's so cool. It's a cut out cartoon of Elijah. Wow. And we didn't have screens and the internet. We just had flannel graphs. But she used them. And somehow in my little head, I got a hold of enough faith to know I was hearing a negative report and I was not going to get it in my spirit. There was a moment of truth for me. Some of you are sitting here right now and you're, tra- you're, tra- you're tracking backwards in your mind and you're thinking about moments of truth. Moments of truth. Where you had, to, you had come to a point where it was time to make a decision. The astronauts you saw in the video, at some point, They had to decide, all right, I want to be an astronaut. And that was a moment of truth. And they went through the training. And then they came, the word came down the pipe. Hey, President Kennedy has authorized a moonshot. We're going to go. And they walked out in their suits. And they went up the elevator and they climbed in that capsule. And when that door shut, that was a moment of truth. We decide. We're in here. We're locked in. It's on. And then three, two, one, ignition. We have liftoff. You heard the guy screaming, we have liftoff. <laughs> Moment of truth. No going back now. We're committed. We're on the way. And then all of a sudden they're orbiting the moon and they bring the eagle over that spot and they bring it down and they land on the moon's surface. 
moment of truth. Because, you know, they had the saucers on the bottom of that, that uh, lander, huge, because they thought since the universe or the earth is four and a half billion years old, they calculated that the cosmic dust gathered on the moon could have been over a thousand feet thick. It was only two inches. Another clue to the actual age of the universe, not billions of years. Anyway, the guy walks down the ladder. He's standing there. He's looking at the surface of the moon. Our first, our first visit to a, to a heavenly body besides earth. Our first interplanetary, as it were, excursion. And he takes his foot off the ladder and he goes down into the dust with better balance than I'm sure. And he hits it. And he says, that's one small step for man. One giant leap for mankind. Let me tell you, it could not, I'm sure somebody scripted that for him. It could not have been said better. There are times in our lives when what seems like to everybody watching is just another step. But we know it's a giant leap. Faith is like that. Nobody may know, but you and God. But this next step on my journey, this is a doozy, Lord. This is one small step to everybody else. But to me, this is a giant leap. The moment of truth. The moment of truth. The Bible is filled with moments of truth. Elijah on Mount Carmel, he faced a moment of truth. He called out the 850 prophets of Baal and Ashtoreth. And he let them do their thing all day long and call down fire. He said, the God who answers by fire, that's who's going to be God. He challenged the entire religious world where he lived and challenged them to a showdown on Mount Carmel. I preached a sermon on this as a youth pastor called Meet Me on Mount Carmel. It just impacted the lives of all the young people. It was a powerful service. I'll never forget it. I don't repeat sermons and preach them over again, but if I was going to, that would be one that I would think about. Elijah went out there, and the first thing he did when it became his turn, he didn't get up and make a speech. He didn't do a three-point outline. He didn't show a video. He rebuilt the altar. The altar, the altar of God was in ruins, and Elijah rebuilt it. Let me tell you, if you want to see the miracle-working power of God operative in your life, you want to see the fire of God fall in your life and in your heart, rebuild your own personal altar of prayer and consecration to God. I believe the church in America has drifted far from God. I don't believe we care about holiness like we used to. I'm not sure we understand effectual, fervent prayer like we ought to. I'm not quite certain how many Christians are really committed to reading the word i think we can watch television for hours on end and stream the net from hours on end and and look at videos for hours on end but when it comes to seeking god and and paying the price for his anointing and getting that altar rebuilt i wonder how how studious the church in america has been we want to see the fire fall. The first step is repair the altar. You want to see the fire of God? You want to see the miracles happen in your life? Repair the altar of God in your heart, in your home, in your marriage. Step number one. David confronting Goliath. You're going to face giants in your life. You already have. It's a moment of truth. I'll finish up the story. Elijah built the altar. He put the wood on it. He poured, put the sacrifice on it. He dug a trench around it and poured 13 jars full of water all over it. 
And he prayed about a 10-second prayer, and the fire of God filled, burned up the, the cow, the wood, the stones, the dirt, and the water. I've never built a fire that would do that. But God's fire will. You see, the fire of God is not like our fire. It's a whole different thing. And that's what we need to understand. We, we, we come to church, and I, I gotta, I'm going to be honest with you. I'm going to share something. That's my, I, I got a pet peeve, okay? A pastoral pet peeve. Pastor Rowland's pastoral pet peeve. And if I pronounce another P or two, we can pepper this with all kinds of pronunciative words. My pet peeve is that we, are, we now, I think the cool thing now for about the last six or seven years, the really cool thing in, in pastoring is to, is to try to come up with tweetable statements that are cleverly derived at. And I got to be honest with you, I'm sick and tired of it. I, I'm cheesed out and hoked out on the whole thing. It all started with no one cares what you know until they know how much you care. That's what started it all. And ever since that, and it's a good statement, you know. But hey, I like mayonnaise on some things, but I don't like mayonnaise sandwiches too much of anything. And we want to distill the great mysteries of God and the doctrinal truths of the eternal word and the immutable great statements of reality that are beyond the eons of time itself into 140 characters. It just can't be done. So don't get caught up in that. And don't get caught up in the, in the cuteness and cleverness of ministry. Instead, try to understand the reality and the totality of what God is trying to get us to learn and to grow into. It's not cleverness. It's spirituality. It's not sensationalism. It's supernatural power. There's a big difference. Moses on the steps of Pharaoh's court. What a moment of truth. If I go in here, he can order me decapitated. He doesn't have to, he didn't have to hear anything I say. I can get my head cut off in the air and can come behind me and see stuff done. But that was a moment of truth for Moses. Esther going before the king. If he didn't raise that scepter, she was going to be killed. She took her life in her hands and put her life on the line for her people. That was a moment of truth. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego before Nebuchadnezzar. What a moment of truth. They stood there in the fire blazing. They can feel the heat. They know the king has just become furious with him. The Bible even says his attitude toward them changed and he became furious with them. And he said, now you will bow and you will, you will pay homage to my idol or I will throw you in this furnace. And then what God's going to save you. And they said four things. They said, we're not going to bow. We will not bow to your image. I challenge you today not to bow to the image of this world. I dare you in the name of Jesus to stand strong in the faith and in your commitment to the Lord Jesus Christ. He is the son of God. He is the firstborn living one who was dead, but he's alive again and he lives forevermore. Don't you ever back away. Don't you ever shrink back. Don't you ever be afraid. You stand. Don't you bow to the idols of this world. We will not bow to your idol. Number two. The God we serve is able to deliver us. Number three, we believe he will. Number four, but even if he does not, we will burn to death in this fire and so be it. That's a moment of truth. That's a moment of truth. Daniel at his window. 
You ever thought about Daniel at his window? Every day he went to his window three times a day, opened the window and prayed. The whole city could hear him. The king ordered an edict. Nobody's going to pray to any god except the god of Nebuchadnezzar, the golden idol on the plains of Shinar. That next morning, Daniel had a moment of truth. He walked up to that window as he always had, and he looked at it. Can you imagine what was going through his heart? He said, wow, you know, he could have said, well, I don't, I don't really need to pray out loud. God can hear me. I can pray quietly in my room. God can hear me, which is true, but that wasn't the point. It was a moment of truth. Daniel undid the latch, threw open the window. I believe he lifted his hands to heaven, and he began to pray the exact same way he did every other day, a moment of truth. What's your moment of truth? Where are you in your life right now? What crossroads, what why, what fork are you standing at? There's a moment of truth for every one of us, and it has to do with faith. Maybe the greatest moment of truth of all was Jesus in the Garden of Gethsemane. As of yet, he was unhurt. He was just praying, but he knew what was coming. It was a moment of truth when he said, Father, if it is possible, let this cup pass from me. And then he said the key word, the, the, the fulcrum of the entire mechanism of the human existence on earth, transition with this one word, nevertheless. Father, if it's possible, let this cup pass from me. In other words, I don't want this. I don't want to have to go through with this. If there's any other way, oh God, Father, please. Nevertheless, not what I will, but what you will. Moment of truth. And because Jesus took that step of faith and said, nevertheless, you and I can be saved today from our sins. Moments of truth transform us. Moments of truth transform families. Moments of truth change the destiny of nations. Moments of truth can change the world. But we have to be willing to do one thing. We have to be willing at the moment of truth to take that one small step that really is one giant leap. We talk about faith we talk about what it is. We describe it from stories. We examine it from the scripture. We talk about how to, how to increase it by studying the word. We pray for faith to increase in our lives. But let me tell you, sometimes all that is just a season of preparation leading you to a moment of truth when now it's time to act on the faith that you proclaim to walk in. Will you? Or will you not take that step? That's the great question the moment of truth poses to us. And I'm not, I'm not necessarily talking about you quitting your job and running up here and saying, Pastor Josh, I'm going to work with you full time now. I know you can't pay me, but I'm going to trust God to fly ravens and biscuits to my house. I'm not saying that. But let's take something innocuous and innocent. Oh, say Forgiveness. 
We don't see forgiveness as a great moment of truth and miraculous transitional fulcrum point that could resonate through our whole lives and change everything. But I can tell you this from my heart, soul, and truth. I believe more Christians are going to miss heaven over bitterness and unforgiveness than probably anything else. There are people in your life you need to forgive. The moment of truth for you is now. Today. There are things in your past that you have done and you've beat yourself up. You've condemned yourself. You felt guilty. You felt beat down. You felt self-condemnation all your life and shame and indignity and, and deprecation, self-deprecation all of your life. And the moment of truth for you is now today. Will you accept the forgiveness of God as enough? And will you allow your heart to heal? Because healed people heal people. Hurt people hurt people. This is not safe. I'm not going to lie to you and tell you that it's safe to get up here and talk about the moment of truth. It's not safe and it's not for the faint hearted. There are no guarantees. I can't guarantee you you're going to be able to walk on water. I can't guarantee you if you, if you stick your, your staff out over the Red Sea, it's going to split all night long. I can't promise you that God's going to send ravens to your house to feed you. But I can guarantee you this. What will become of us if we never try? What will become of us if we walk to the edge? And because there's risk, because it's not safe, because there are no guarantees, we stop on the banks of the Jordan River rather than taking the cloak of the prophet, smiting the water, and watching it divide and walking across to the promised land. Are you willing today, now, in this moment of truth, to take one small step? And one giant leap all at the same time. Are you willing to pull the trigger? Are you willing to pay the price? Are you willing to dare? I dare you today to move toward your destiny. Dave, if you'll come play softly. I dare you to move toward your destiny. I dare you to go further and deeper and higher in God than you ever have before. I'm not up here giving you seven keys to wisdom or, or five things you need to do to, to get your marriage. I'm talking about stuff that's way past that. I'm talking about the miracle working power of God that you can't get to any other way than with a real living active faith. Let me give you some scriptures that, that the Bible says off the top of my head. I don't even have them written down here. Everything is possible to him who believes. Is that true or not? If you have faith the size of a grain of mustard seed and you say to this mountain, be removed, mountain, and cast into the sea, it will be done. Is that true or is it not? The angel said to Mary, with man, this is impossible. But with God, nothing is impossible. That's either true or it's not. As a church, as a group of people, as a body of believers... We have all come to a moment of truth. All of us, Life Point Church, we've come to a moment of truth now. 
Pastor Josh and Kelly have agreed to take over the pastoral role of this church. Pastor Don and I have felt that God is transitioning us into another realm of ministry. Those are two huge moments of truth, steps of faith that we're taking. But you too, as part of this body, have reached a moment of truth. And the moment of truth is not corporate. It's in your own heart. It's in your own life. It's in your own walk with God. What will you allow God to do with your life? What will you allow God to make of you? What will you allow God to form and mold and shape of your existence? I dare you to march boldly towards your destiny. I challenge you to march fearlessly toward the horizon of God's possibility. Close with this. There's an object to all faith. You have faith in the struts and the construction of this building that this ceiling's not going to fall on us. You have faith that when you get in your car after church and you turn that key, that battery's going to have enough juice in it to turn that starter over and crank your vehicle. You have faith when you swipe your card at the gas station and press that, that dispensive hose that that gas is going to be pouring into your tank. When you get back in your car, that needle is going to have moved. You have faith that the last two weeks you work, you're going to get paid for. We all operate on faith. We all trust. We all have moments of truth. But I'm talking about something way beyond all that. There's an object to your faith. Let me tell you what the object of our faith is. It is God Almighty. Jehovah Jireh, Jehovah Nisi, Jehovah Rohi, Jehovah Rapha, Jehovah Sidkenu, Jehovah El Shaddai, the God that is more than enough. That's who is the object of our faith, the God who spoke and light came into being, the God who spoke and the world was formed, the God who spoke and life came forth, the God who spoke and a redemptive plan for mankind was put into place. That's the God you and I serve. He's the object of our faith. He is all-powerful, all-knowing, and omnipresent, and he is madly in love with you. You ever thought that God was madly in love with you? He is. In his purpose is his provision, his power, and his protection. There's more peas. I think I'm going to go eat peas for lunch. In God's purpose, therein lies his provision, his power, and his protection. As long as you're walking in God's will, you're in his purpose, he's going to take care of you. But that takes faith. And sometimes the most important dynamic of faith is the first step along the journey. And lastly, what God starts, he always finishes. I'm persuaded that he who has begun a good work in you We'll see it through to completion of the day of Jesus Christ. Wow. What is your moment of truth? What is it? Whatever you thought it was coming to you when you walked in here this morning, I believe God has accelerated you and wants you to deal with it right now. Don't put this off. Don't delay another week, another day, another hour. The time to deal with the moment of truth in your life is right now. Bow your heads and close your eyes.